Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yeah. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. I think he's the, the greatest all-around player that's ever played. I mean, and, and the reason I say that, and I don't mean disrespect to anybody because you can have as many opinions as you want, but in my lifetime, he's the only guy I've seen that would have been an NBA All-Star at any of the five positions. Today's podcast brought to you by Roy's Umbrella. For all of your home loan needs, go to roysumbrella.com. Need more info on a reverse mortgage? Schedule an appointment with one of Roy's specialists. Just go to roysumbrella.com. No tricks, no nonsense, no extra or hidden charges at the end, folks. It is really that simple. He has been so loyal to me. And trust me when I say this, he will treat you like family. Just go to roysumbrella.com. That's roysumbrella.com. On the podcast today, my guest is one of the most iconic figures in the history of Sacramento sports. He was a two-time head coach of the Sacramento Kings, general manager. He was the general manager of the Sacramento Monarchs. He was my broadcast partner for over 20 years. He is like family to me. But in his book, Reynolds Remembers, He referred to me like an acquired taste, like a cup of coffee. Jerry, was I really like a freaking cup of coffee? How are you, sir? Well, let me me just say this. Uh, Let me explain this. I have to have at least five cups of coffee every day. (laughs) So basically, and take another step is, it's not possible for me to even operate and exist without my coffee. So yeah, I would say that's pretty accurate. You know, that's that's about as much praise as I can give somebody. Well, I like that. Well, you know, it's so awesome to have you on my podcast. As you well know, uh, I started this about a month ago. I'm having a lot of fun with it. And I'm like, well, gee, okay, you know what? This is airing on Election Day, and everybody's just going out of their freaking mind. So I'm like, let's have some laughs on Election Day. How does that sound? Oh, it sounds great. I mean, gosh, I'd be glad all this this election crap is over with. I mean, obviously, with the pandemic, we still can't get back to normal, but it, it'll it be a step in the right direction for sure, sooner, sooner than later. Jerry, where are you at right now with your life? Are you done? Are you 100% retired? I am 100% retired. So I won't say I won't do a thing or two here and there, but no, I'm a full-time retired person. And as you know, I spent uh, many years preparing myself to do nothing. And uh, and, and I was quite good at it, as you know, uh, even before I made it official. 
Well, I look back at my 32 years of broadcasting in the NBA, and uh, my best memories are with you. All the moments that we shared, both uh, on the air and off the air, all those plane rides, in and out of hotels. I mean, we were there for the heyday. We did see some good basketball, but then, boy, it went down in a hurry. But you know how I feel about working with you, but how much did you enjoy broadcasting? I mean, you were a coach. I mean, that's really what you came up through the ranks after you, you know, at Vincennes, then you got an opportunity to go into the NBA and then a head coach, the WNBA. You weren't really a broadcaster, but you made a great transition. Did you, how much did you enjoy that? Well, actually, of all the jobs I've had, and I, I've said this, I, I mean, it was by far uh, my best job, the most enjoyable. Uh, you know, I mean, as you know, we, we had so much fun doing the broadcast and obviously uh, when the team is good it makes it even better but uh, you know it, it's an entertainment the NBA basketball is entertainment sometimes I think they've forgotten that uh, even in the bad times you could find find things to enjoy uh, you know even if it's the other team and they're good play or, or really good play players having good games and yeah, no, the broadcast part was uh, the, honestly the best of times and best of my career as far as enjoyable and, uh, you know, just not, you know, working with yourself. I mean, obviously you're, you're a pro's pro, but I mean, you know, Gary Gerald and, and, and really, you know, whether it's all the guys behind the scenes, you know, it, it just a, tr- we had a terrific team, as you know, I, I always said that even when the Kings weren't good, uh, I, we, I felt like that we were part of a really good team uh, of our own. Well, I don't like to uh, pat myself on the back, and you're not one that does that either, but I always took great, and I'm, I'm being brutally honest here, uh, great satisfaction when all of the reviews and or rankings came out, you know, either during the year or after the year from a lot of various uh, publications when the Kings were maybe winning 25 to 30 games, which means there weren't a lot of people that in all likelihood that were watching but we always rank near the top of broadcasting duos. And I, I took great pride in that because our product was not very good that we were watching every night. Yeah, I did too. You know, I mean, I, I was kind of amazed by it really, you know, and I, one of those people that certainly watched all the different games and broad, different broadcast teams. So, you know, it's always impossible to rank yourself, but it, but it was nice that certainly whenever fans were involved, we seem to be right at right up there, and 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 I mean, having said that, I know there for a few years. I mean, I know the first year or so I worked with Gary Gerald, and bless his heart, you know, he he was a mentor and had the patience of Job, you know, to help me learn to trade a little bit because I had no training. And then certainly, even uh, when we got together, I mean, I know you had to. It was <laughs> some some nights it was like, you know, my God, what am I working with here? This, <laughs> this country bumpkin, you know, but, but uh, you know, I, I always felt like, you know, but I kind of understood, or at least I thought I did, my, what my role was. And, and to me, it, you know, I mean, I think, you know, like the play-by-play people uh, like yourself are, are the stars of the team so to speak and and i mean myself as an analyst you should be a role player and i tried to be a good role player i always said i tried to be the bobby jackson of uh, of the broadcast team <laughs> right you know and uh and i and i think that and i still think that's the way it should be too many honestly too many broadcasts really are lopsided to where the the color guys just dominate the play-by-play and it takes away from the broadcast i think your love of basketball began around what age? 
I was six. Uh, I always remember because my dad took me to my first game. I had an uncle that was kind of the star of the French Lick Indiana Red Devils. And, uh, <laughs> about that? And I, and I saw the game, you know, packed gym, you know, and it was, you know, very much uh, like Hoosiers, <laughs> packed a uh, little gym. And wow, if I could ever, you know, ever be good enough just to play on the on the varsity, that would be that would be amazing. So yeah, that's when my love affair started, and you know, it's uh, lasted through about seventy plus years. And uh, you decided uh, fairly early on in your life that the one thing you would not do would be an official. Tell me that story. Well, yeah, I uh, you know, so going through college, you know, you're always looking for ways to to make an. Act- extra buck and even as an assistant coach when I first started at Vincennes University Junior College uh, me and a buddy we officiated some so we officiated here and there and and I always remember my last game and that's when the decision was made I think it was in Ferdinand Indiana it seems like it was Ferdinand playing uh, Holland Indiana and uh, you know had two officials and and so at the end of it, uh, the the road team won. I think uh, we made some calls that people didn't agree with, and and we got a, you know, basically got you know, basically people char- charged after us into the like a, a dressing room. So we got got dressed and had to have a some state troopers come and <laughs> escort us out of town. <laughs> and I was and I'll never forget this. You know, we got about ten miles out of town to where we knew we were safe and found a bar. And, and me and Tom, as Tom Stezik was his name, and we sat there. I think we got paid twenty five dollars a game at that time, and I think we both drank up more than twenty five dollars worth of beer. And and I and I said to myself then, and we both I said, "That's it, you know, this, this, you know, to get to get killed for twenty five bucks, it doesn't make a lot of sense." Man, that's uh, that is truly unbelievable. Uh, you started your coaching career well, really at, at Vincennes, and you won a championship, which you know, not to be disrespectful to you, but I mean, if you had Bob McAdoo, that was a pretty good start, but to have Footsie Walker and Bob McAdoo at a junior college, that's true. I, I look back at those stories that you've told me. That's just remarkable, Jerry. Yeah, well, it was. You know, we, as you said, I mean, to not win a national championship with them would have been a, probably even more outstanding. <laughs> but, uh, right. But, you know, I mean, it's like anything. Uh, uh, they were guys at that time. I mean, they certainly people knew they were good coming up, but they weren't heavily recruited, surprisingly. You know, they were both guys, especially especially Foots, that uh, just, you know, like a lot of guys that you see, just got better and better and had the desire to get better and better and, and made a, you know, a great, had a really nice 10, 11, 12-year career in the NBA. And, of course, McAdoo went on to become one of the all-time greats. And, uh, and I think... Uh, it's mostly, I always say, I, I did tell you the same thing, I think. I, I would never take credit for them, but I, the only thing I'd say in both cases is that uh, I didn't hurt them any. And, uh, <laughs> That's right. You know what I mean? I think there's a lot of coaches that take really outstanding players and and don't help them. You know, and I think that's that's one thing I, I feel pretty good about is I, I don't think I ever coached a player that I kept them from being as good as they could be. I've heard stories of people that watched LeBron James play, you know, as a kid and projected him to be great. Indiana, French Lick, Larry Bird. What age did people look at him and go, okay, this could be a really special player? And 
around what period of time in your life was it when you first met Larry Bird? Well, I'd always remembered Larry from, he was probably about four or five years old. He'd be hanging around the courts, outdoor courts where we all played. And his younger brother, uh, Mark, who I, I knew well and played with, was uh, quite a bit younger. I think he was two or three, about three years behind. And then I had a younger brother who was about Larry's age and played with him. But, but anyway, I remember him as a four, kind of about four or five year old kid hanging around. And now as far as watching him play, I, I remember seeing him well, the first time as a junior in high school. And he was, uh, you know, real about six, two, six, three skinny. And, you know, then at that time, I said, I, I remember telling the coach after the game, they were a really good team. And I said, uh, boy, this kid, Larry, I, I think he's going to be maybe the best player to ever come out of here. And, you know, he said, nah, nah, you know, of course, nobody anticipated that he'd grow, he grew about four inches uh, between the, the junior year and the senior year. And then by that time, he averaged 33 points and 22 rebounds a game. And, and everybody got the clue that, yeah, he was was awfully good. Now, having said all that, even at that time, I don't think anybody anticipated that he'd be an all-time great. I think, you know, myself, I thought, was well, yeah, he, he'll be a terrific college player. And, you know, if things go well, maybe he could play in the NBA. That was but but here again, you know, like some other guys, he was one of those guys that just kept working to get better and better and better, and he did. He uh, obviously drew the fascination of every single person in the French Lick area, except for maybe your mom, after his playing days, coming over to help you at your mom's house do yard work uh, one day. Uh, <laughs> refresh my memory on that story of what your mom said. Yeah, that was one of those deals. He, of course, Larry, uh, really good guy, always very humble, you know, and just a natural worker. And, uh, you know, so I was going to go up and mow my mom's yard before going back. And, you know, he said, hey, come up and help. And, and so, you know, basically after the visit, he said, hey, Jerry, uh, you know, can I say hi to your mom? I said, sure. She'd love to see you. You know, so, I mean, certainly we, we knew the family. They knew ours and things like that. And he stuck his head indoor and visited with mom, you know, and she chatted a little bit with him. And then pretty soon he left. And, and after he left, you know, like like old people like I am now, mom said, now, now which one of Rose Bird's boys was that? And, and I said, well, mom, that was Larry. Oh, yeah, Larry. He Whatever happened to him? I said, mom. <laughs> Mom, he he really did good. Good. He was. I said he's really a great basketball player. Don't you remember him playing? You know, in high school and stuff. I said, oh yeah, yeah. I remember you saying he was real good. Of course, this is part I didn't tell you. I said, she said, now, 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 Jerry, was he as good in high school as you? I said, Mom, good grief, no. I said, why would you even think that? <laughs> good grief, no. <laughs> oh my, he, he, oh my gosh, he um. He wasn't as good as the Caucasian comment. Oh, of course. well, I wasn't going to admit that. I mean, I knew better, of course. But uh, you know, I mean, you got to have your mom on your side, don't you? Oh my gosh, that really was your nickname in high school, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The Caucasian comment. Wow. 
You know, quick as a a cat, buddy. Oh, I love that. Uh, You know, there's, I I guess, a lot of different speeds of comets, too. You have to keep that in. You know, some some comets don't don't just dart across the sky, you know. Oh, my gosh. That is absolutely (laughs) hilarious. I love uh, reminiscing you talking with Jerry Reynolds. You know, you talk about eye for talent. I, I tell the story our first broadcast of the LeBron James rookie season. It was his first game in Sacramento. And I point out to so many that during that game, okay, as a teenager, one year out of high school, you said on our telecast, if this kid stays healthy, we may be calling him the greatest player of all time before it's said and done. You right now think he's the greatest of all time. Do you not? I do. I think he's the the greatest all around player you know, that that's ever played. I mean, and, and the reason I say that, and I don't mean disrespect to anybody because you can have as many opinions as you want, but in, in my lifetime, he's the only guy I've seen that would be at, would have been an NBA all-star at any, any of the five positions. I mean, he could play center and be an all NBA center and all NBA power forward and all NBA small forward and all NBA off guard or one guard. And, and at his prime, you know, in his late twenties or so, he could guard all the positions probably as well as anybody in the league. And we just never had that. Obviously Jordan could, could have probably played uh, three positions and been the very best player at three. And, and, you know, you and magic uh, probably at, at four, the difference between he and Magic, really, he's just a better offensive player and much better defensive player. You know, you can, like I say, you can always make those lists, and, and I would just have to put him as the greatest player that I've ever seen. And boy said, you know, probably before that, I'd probably put Oscar Robertson right there, even though he doesn't have the, all the championships, but uh, still a team game. A lot of fans, I think, tend to look at things they don't like about him rather than just his total greatness. Jerry, the form in L.A. the night before you became head coach for the first time of the Sacramento Kings. The score at the end of the first quarter is 40-4. to The Kings made four points on four free throws. Phil Johnson, the coach, you and him were unbelievably close. The next day, you became the coach of the Sacramento Kings. Did Phil know before the plane arrived the next day back in Sacramento that was it? What was that period of time like between the game being over and you getting the job? Yeah, yeah, you know, I think he, well, he didn't know, I know, because I remember that, you know, we flew commercial in those days and the plane trip back and there was an all-star break during that time between uh, that game and there was a, I think about a, another 24-hour period before the news broke that he had, uh, that Phil had been let go. You know, I, I don't think he was surprised by it because just, you know, that just kind of brought it to the head. Things had been kind of going the wrong way for different reasons. So, you know, so that I think they chose to do that uh, at that time. And, and then they also let uh, his number one assistant go. I was the second assistant, Frank Hamblin. Uh, go at the same time so when they notified me they wanted me to take over I was the lone ranger you know in those days I didn't we didn't I didn't even have an assistant a couple of games uh which was uh you know pretty unique even sure. then and uh and then like say the my first game as interim head coach was against the Lakers again like after the 40 to 4 debacle there in the first quarter you know I was, I'll never forget you know I'd called a 
timeout early. The Lakers had went on a little run the first quarter, and and we were and we were down twelve to six. And I said, well, guys, we've improved a great deal from the last time already. <laughs> that, that's just <laughs> unbelievable. <laughs> but, but I mean, you know, it's just one of those things uh, that kind of, one of those memorable kind of things, you know, because I was, you know, very intimidated and really sad because I always remember telling Joe Axelson uh, when he told me he wanted me to take over, uh, you know, and I said, I really, I told him, I said, I don't want to do it. I said, it, it, you know, I said, Bill Johnson doesn't deserve to be let go. He's a better coach than I am. He said, well, it's been, it's already decided. And then I talked to Phil and told him the situation. He said, I always remember him saying, he said, now, Jerry, he said, uh, do you need a job? I said, hell yeah, I need a job. He said, well, then you better take it. He said, unless you're independently wealthy. <laughs> uh, right. <laughs> He said, you know, you didn't fire me. And, and he said, and you're not going to hire yourself. So, uh, he said, this is the NBA. This stuff happened. And, you know, and I mean, it was, sure. uh, it's so true. You know, they really, and of course, Phil went on to, you know, prove, I mean, out, he'd been an NBA uh, coach of the year back with the old Kansas City Kings. <laughs> so people kind of forgot that. But anyway, that was a very tough time, though, uh, you know, because it, it's just one of those things to where I thought the ownership overreacted to a bad stretch and some injuries and, and, and a bad trade or two that had been made that probably would have got the team would have played better and and we and we actually did play quite a bit better the second half than than the first half and so I probably got more credit for it than I deserved and you know which would have the team would have played better anyway first time I met you was at a Kings get together on Northgate Boulevard. What was it? Finnegan's Flanagan's. I can't remember, but it was, um, Oh yeah. Right. Well, anyway, I met you, uh, Tom Kern, who did the games on TV. The first three years was there and he introduced me to you. We were sitting at a long rectangular table at that restaurant and it was, uh-huh. it was before the season began. And I walk in and Bill Russell and Willis Reeder there, and Willis was truly one of a guy that I idolized growing up. I mean, in New York, I mean, it was Willis, Walt Frazier, I mean, a gang. But just to be in that room, I was in awe of being in the same room as Bill Russell and Willis Reed. I mean, just two legends to me. You got to know Russ very well. You worked with him. You worked alongside him. What was it like being around Russ every day? Oh, I really, uh, it took a while. You know, I always said uh, Bill, obviously, is a strange, very eccentric man. Truly, truly great, great player. We know that, and uh, and and basically, I was kind of forced on him. I think you know, and, and so he for a while there, we didn't have much of a relationship. About a month or so, you know, and then he, all of a sudden, I mean, he could, certainly Willis and I got along great right right away. I'm like, I mean, Willis, salt of the earth. You just can't find a a better human, regardless of his basketball ability. He's just a top flight guy. But Bill took a little while. And, you know, one day I always remember him, first time he, I kind of got the idea that it might work, he came down and we were working uh, with some guys. Uh, I was, with indiv- you know, individual work and stuff like that. And he came down and put his arm around me. He said, he said, you know what? He said, I think you're, I think you're a pretty darn good coach. He said, I think this might work out. <laughs> I said, well, I'm glad to hear that. I wasn't too sure. <laughs> and, uh, and, and, you know, from that point on, though, it was, it was great. I mean, you know, he, he was, I can't say that he had, uh, you know, coaching in his blood. I don't think that and he'd sure. be the first to admit that I think, but, uh, but I just love sitting around his office or he'd come to my office and just, 
tell you know tell stories. I I, I love to to listen to a lot of his old Celtic stories and some of his uh, kind of his exploits off the court, so to speak. And just an amazing guy, an amazing guy. You know, I I always one of the, the amazing stories I've always told about Bill when he was. Uh, I was, in fact, as I was uh, coaching, I think. No, he was coaching at that time. I was assistant along with, and Willis had already left, I think. He'd, he'd taken the New Jersey Nets job. And uh, and Bill said that he decided he's going to have to work with Joe Klein and LaSalle Thompson. Thought he might get help him. And I said, well, you probably won't hurt him any, so <laughs> I, don't, right. I don't see there's a danger there. Well, so he goes and works with him a little bit, and I'm work helping him and this, that, and the other. And and you know, and it just amazed me. He was in his late fifties at that time, maybe even sixty. And God, he was so much quicker than they were. Wow. You know, and I mean, it was just like one of those, like, oh, I think I get it now. You know, sure. You 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 just don't know what you don't know. And he and he and I always told Bill, I said, you know, I think probably if you really wanted to help the team. You you could help us more just by actually playing than working with those guys because <laughs> I think he probably Boy, no could. I mean, and then the other one, which is maybe the most amazing story, he was uh, had traded for Ralph Sampson. He was a GM at that time, and so I was in the office when Ralph had came over and all that and had the nice visit. And I, I, by the way, I thought the world of Ralph. I mean, he just great as, guy, you know, and Love Ralph. He, he just. Yep. was was basically crippled yep. by the time the Kings got him and it wasn't anybody, wasn't his fault and he worked his butt off. But anyway, anyway, so we got done visiting a little bit and Bill said, he told talked to Ralph and he said, Ralph, I want you to stand here in the office and raise your hands and reach as high as you can. So Ralph did that and Bill stood up right next to him. You know, Ralph's 7'2". Bill stood right next to him and reached right over the top of him. His his reach wow. Wow. was four or five inches more than Ralph Sampson's. That's incredible. And and, and you know, it was one of those things. There, it's like, oh, I think I get it now. <laughs> you know, you <laughs> sure. Uh, you know, I mean, he might have been six ten in height, but he was basically his length made him a seven foot two guy with with amazing quickness that he had. Just why he was just part of why he was probably the greatest defensive center to ever lived. With well, not probably was he was sure. I always tell the story. It's one of the very few times in the 33 years of knowing you where you were upset because that year you had training camp over in Honolulu. And I I show up to Honolulu uh, about maybe two days after the team had practiced. And I walk into the gym and I kid you not, I am literally three feet, four feet into the basketball area and Danny Ainge comes running up to me, uh, literally running up to me. And he goes, you're not going to believe this. And I'm like, what? He goes, Ralph can't run. And I'm like, what are you talking about? He goes, he can't run. I go, come on. He goes, no, he can't even run up and down the court. And I look over and I see Juwan Oldham is on the sideline with both feet wrapped up in ice. And as I look at Vinny Del Negro, he can't play. Half your team two days in already is not playing. And the next night you're going up against Kareem, Magic, Worthy. But I'll never forget the press conference. You know, there's like, you know, Don Drysdale and one guy from the B or whatever. There was three, four members of the media there to talk to you after practice. And you know what? You weren't making jokes. You weren't smiling. You were flat out pissed off that day. That's the most upset I've ever seen you. I, I tell you, you know, I, 
it was. It's probably the the worst time of my life. You know, I mean, coaching wise. I mean, obviously, a lot of things are far more important than your jobs and that sort of thing. But I mean, I I was I, I was down, and because you know, I think uh, at that time, I think Wayman Tisdale was was holding out, so we didn't have him. Uh, we'd lost Ricky Berry due to suicide in late August. You know, who was going to be a be a star and. You know, it's just one of those things where I was, I just, I guess what it was, was just a foreboding knowing that the thing just couldn't work. And like you said, poor Ralph, you know, uh, I mean, hobbling up and down there. I mean, uh, you, at your age, you could outrun him easy right now. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I mean, right. it was, it was sad. It yes, was it just was. sad. Yes, and, it was. And, you know, you know, just one of those things to where, you know, like you say, and you, you know, you're playing this, you're going to have a couple of games against the Showtime Lakers, which it was just, and we didn't really have anybody in camp that was even going to make the team. Anybody knew, you know, just guys that were kind of G League potential guys at the most. And so it was, uh, yeah, very, very, uh, <laughs> other than the fact that I, I was, I was getting paid. That was really the only positive of the whole thing. You know, you talk about Ricky Berry and I'll never forget that day. I know you won't either in, in August when he committed suicide, uh, you orchestrated one of the great trades in the history of the Sacramento Kings, trading Billy Owens for Mitch Richmond. And as we talk about Ricky Berry, because he had star written all over him, and he played the shooting guard position, how much have you thought about had Ricky been able to work out his problems, have a productive life and basketball career, how that would have changed the course of the history of the Sacramento Kings? Well, it, I thought about it a lot, and it would have changed. I think for sure. I mean, it, the team he had major star. I, I've said this, and you know, I think the world of Peja Stojakovic. But I tell you, in my opinion, Ricky Barry would have been better because he could do more off the bounce and a little more athletic, and and really had that easy stroke like Peja. You know, I mean, he was well ahead of the three point shooting curve. You know, he was a little bit like Dale Ellis. The great three-point sure. shooter with the Sonics, and and so I, I had no doubt that uh, you know he could be a twenty-two to twenty-five point game scorer easily for years. So you know, it just and and a good guy, uh, easy guy to work with. You know, really coachable. His dad was a coach and everything, so just wasn't going to be. You know, I just said guy that you know you can plug in there and and get twenty twenty-five and and go to crunch time because he liked. He liked that. You could see that. You know, just a terrible tragedy. You know, you just don't know all the, like with anyone, you don't know all the issues off the court and things like that. That was, uh, yeah, it's at the, no question, it's at the franchise back years. Who were some of the most enjoyable players for you being around during your days, whether it was a coach, assistant coach, general manager, even as a broadcaster? Do you have the, the guys that well, let's just talk about coaching because that's a whole different dynamic because you're really around the players every day both on the court and off the court who are some of your favorites well you know eddie johnson you know mike woodson reggie theus lasalle thompson you know those are all just great guys uh, pro- professionals you know i mean you know reggie's reggie you know one of the more gifted guys and Danny tough, Ainge, and I, tough. I, 
Yeah. <laughs> and Danny Ainge was always a lot of fun. I, I think I kicked him out of practice more than any player ever did. But, <laughs> you know, and I always used to kid Danny. I did, you know, we'd get into it. And I said, you know, the thing that pissed me off most about Danny, he was, he was right most of the time when I kicked him out. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> I was just thinking of Danny, you know, and, uh, how, you know, he had very strong opinions and I'm not surprised he's been a great general manager i mean i you know he's one of those guys that studied the game college and pro when he played not not everybody did but i always remember coaching him and we were playing the warriors and the and mitch richmond was a rookie and he told me he said i i, I want to take the rookie I, I i can guard him and so okay you know I, we we talked about how we're going to do it this that and the other and early in the second quarter i think mitch had just kicking his butt you know back in those days mitch went inside a lot and called the timeout and I, I remember telling danny i said danny i said can't you guard that guy you said you could guard that guy what about it are you going to be able to guard this guy this rookie and old danny looked at me right behind the huddle and said coach i really can't i need a lot of help on him <laughs> and i always say that was one of the things that i remember you know going back to to later on the trading to get mitch uh, you know i i knew you know in my own mind i said you know from uh, that i said this guy is a bitch and i mean he is a, a tough cover for anybody and i said you know any way we can get him i know we'll have a star you know which of course the way it worked out and uh, amazing uh, and then it was really shortly after that a couple of years later you got into broadcasting i always tell people that i always share the story at my uh, golf tournament and you were so awesome to attend the uh, dinner because you didn't golf i you, you know i always offered you to you know to caddy at my golf tournament you never took that up is there a reason for that yeah, I caddied uh, from 12 years old to 16 years old, and, and it was work, and I got paid for it. So I figured, no, I'm a professional. I don't, uh, yeah. you know, I don't do it as an amateur. <laughs> the greatest, <laughs> but, but you know, yeah, your golf star. I mean, uh, Future Foundation. I think uh, a lot of people, enough people, don't realize all the good work you did for uh, getting minority students scholarships. It was a great, great program. Really enjoyed going out there and visiting with people and and just seeing all the good that that was done that uh, that you were able to do for the community and don't think you ever got nearly the credit uh, you deserve for that but I know you didn't do it for credit but but it's still it uh, it was a wonderful thing well I appreciate that you know I'm I'm always and you you've been involved in so many uh, charitable endeavors throughout your years in Sacramento and and how generous the people are but the sponsors of my golf tournament every year and they you know every year they were there you know they 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 were just i could always count on them they were always there and they were great at the auction and i mean we raised sometimes over a net of a hundred thousand dollars to send our students to college that's remarkable for just a you know a little local golf tournament well it is and i mean but but you, you, I mean, really, you did a remarkable job with it. Ever, I mean, not everybody can do that. There's a lot of uh, golf tournaments that, you know, they make they make a few bucks, and but they can't really get the, the the commitments that you got. And and I mean, I think there's a lot of reasons for it the way it was run. But the 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 people that benefited, I think the sure. people really did want to to help out minority students who really needed this help to go to school and college and all. And I mean. And, like I say, it was just a. I've been to a lot of those, and and I mean, I thought yours was just so much better 
run than most, you know, where people enjoyed to play in, but they knew they didn't have to spend 15 hours there. And, uh, and I think that helped as well as all the good they were doing. Well, I, you know, getting back to when I used to call you up and we used to banter and you used to entertain the, uh, the golfers and the people at the awards reception for a couple of minutes, you know, again, I was blessed to do the NBA for 32 years. And I mean, the stories just go on and on and on and on and on. And sometimes I will be reflecting back on a period of time and I'm like, oh, I forgot about that story. But the greatest thing and the funniest thing that you've ever said to me, we were probably two or three years before you stopped working with me full time. And we were sitting on the bench, I believe in San Antonio. And we were like we always do, just chatting and having a good time before they called us to do our little rehearsal and then go on the air. And you said, do you know, I've been thinking about this, uh, Napes. Um, I got to tell you, I finally realized what's the most important part of our job. And I go, what's that, Chair? And you said to convince people they're not seeing what they're actually seeing. <laughs> and I was like, you know, I mean, that is the best line I've ever heard in broadcasting for you and I doing pr- pretty much for so many years, 20, 25, 30 win teams, convince people they're not seeing what they're actually seeing. So I got to give you credit on maybe the best line I've ever heard. Well, thanks. You know, and I hadn't been thinking about it for a while because really, in truth, that that's a lot. You know, you're not trying to demean anything, fans, but but basically, when when the teams stop very very good or much fun to watch, you you've got to convince them of something that that uh, that uh, that they're not really seeing. You know, in other words, if they just tuned in for the good basketball, well, then they won't stay tuned in because <laughs> sure. they're not going to see it. So you got got to convince them there's another reason to do that. But uh, you know, and I think that was something that we we were able to do. And uh, but I think it was actually the truth, you know. And I think that happens a lot, you know. And I and I, and I think the other part is I think sometimes a lot of the broadcasts that I listen to that, that bother me a little bit. I, they try to whether it's football, basketball, or whatever, you know the. Sometimes announcers try to make it seem like it's uh, nuclear physics in action or something. No, it, it's friggin' basketball. You know, you don't have to be a genius to, to play it, watch it, or understand it. It's a simple game, and don't complicate it. Have fun with it, you know. And, it, you know, that's kind of my basic philosophy of life, really. You're going to end up dead anyway. You better enjoy it as much as you can. Yeah, you got that right. You know, when you look back at your tenure in Sacramento with all the variety of positions that you've held, is there one thing that you wish you could have done differently or that eats at you, whether it was a decision you made coaching or trade or maybe even something that I'm not thinking about? One thing over the career that just more than anything else bugs you to this day? Uh, well, I, I definitely, you know, really, I, I do wish that uh, I could have done a better job at all those. And I mean, I don't know that if I had a chance to do it over, I could, or, you know, cause there were some strange circumstances, but I, I've always felt that the, the fans, you know, deserved the very best. And, and I, and I certainly wouldn't say, and, and I'm fairly confident that I'm not the best. So, so whatever job I had, you know, I, I, I wish that, uh, I could have uh, given the people really what they deserved, which is more than I was able to to do. I, I don't apologize for the effort or anything because I did the best I could. I, I, I can, you know, honestly, I can look in the mirror pretty good and say, I think I was a, a good employee. And I think that's kind of why I stayed, was able to stay around with all the different ownership groups when things were going bad. I mean, I, I think that, that 
maybe that being my strength is, you know, my going back to my dad when I always remember giving me kind of what work advice I took once. I was, you know, and he always told me, he said, well, I was making $7 a, a day working on the on the Donald Ross golf course uh, as a land, kind of a landscaper. And uh, he said, well, if they're going to pay you $7 a day, son, he said, you give them $8 a day's worth. And then you, <laughs> yeah. you'll last longer. I and, love it. Uh, and, you know, and I thought it made, you know, I didn't quite understand it at the time, but there's, I think a lot of times that's really what it comes down to. You know, whatever job you have, uh, try to give them a little more, a little more than, than you're required to. Other than your mom or your dad, was there one individual that's had the biggest influence on the success of your career? Yeah, I think it was a, a teacher, a high school teacher named Philip Summers, that when came to Springs Valley High School in French Lake at that time, the school had consolidated, but I was a history teacher and, and really kind of got to me to understand that, that I needed to think in terms a little higher terms than I was, you know, I mean, because all I was thinking about was playing basketball and chasing girls, which ain't a bad philosophy, by the way. <laughs> right. But, but uh, you know, it don't pay well long, long term. <laughs> and, and so, but he, he you know, and it's, it's interesting because later on, he became the uh, president of Vincennes University. Uh, wow. Certainly. He, he, after I was gone from there, but uh, we always had a good friendship. But I mean, he really, uh, I think very influential to me and, and kind of got me thinking about things that would work for my career. In fact, as he was one encouraged me to go to Vincent Junior College as a player because he just thought it'd be the best thing for me educationally because I wasn't, you know, he thought I'd be probably intimidated by bigger schools and or going a long way from home, which was my opportunities. And, and he was exactly right because if I'd have went to Colorado State or something like that, I'd have, I'd have, been I'd have been back home in a week. I just wasn't equipped for for that sort of thing. You know, a lot of small town kids, I think, would understand that. You love to go out for walks, and when Coachy, the Hall of Fame coach Pete Carrill, was with the Kings, that was part of your uh, routine on the road. Coachy just turned ninety. Bless his heart. How great was it to spend that time with Coachy? And he just had a way of explaining things that everyone could understand what he was talking about. He was so succinct. He he was just such a phenomenal person to be with. But you were on those great walks. How, those conversations had to be unbelievable. Oh, they were. I mean, I, I tell you what, he talk about it. I mean, you know, I mean, what a, a wonderful man. But I mean, truly a basketball genius, I have no doubt. I'd always thought that I could watch a practice and, and understand what went on and see little things that sometimes a lot of people wouldn't. But he, he would always come up with stuff that like, wow, I did not see that or understand that. And, and those walks, yeah, it was was great. You know, and we had a little system because we, you know, I was near as old as Kochi, but I have tend to repeat myself. And But he's got to be bad, bad like that. So uh, he said, yeah, when I, if you hear a story that, that, that I've told before, just hold up two fingers and that way it'll speak. Then I'll quit and we'll move on. And, and so, we, you know, oh we, 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 yeah, we got that down pat. So I'd be <laughs> those, so I, and I told him sometimes I, I didn't hold up two fingers because I wanted to hear it again. Because, so <laughs> <laughs> but his, you know, he, I, I was going to say the stories that Pete, you know, would tell was a lot like Bill Russell. I mean, just the stories that were, were so great uh, where you could really get 
you know, some pearls of wisdom sure. in there. And I, I always say that about Larry Bird. I say a lot of people don't realize this, but I always say so many of the little things he would say just uh, made so much sense. You know, kind of it's like the old statement. I remember him telling me once, Larry, that I was asking him about how he's able to to create so many shots and get get his spots on the floor, things like that. And he said, oh, it's pretty simple, Jerry. He said, uh, he said, I'm not the quickest guy and the fastest guy in the world, but when you're the best shooter in the whole world, you get open a lot easier. <laughs> and, right. and, you know, sometimes, yeah, that's kind of the way it works, you know. When a guy's got to guard you tight everywhere, it, it makes you quicker. And uh, But, but I mean, Pete, Pete and Bill, they, you know, they, they just simply, the greats and Larry, I mean, they, they see the world differently. They say to see the game differently and it shows up. It shows up in, in what they were able to accomplish. Well, uh, the talks that we, you and I used to have with all the people around the league, you sometimes by yourself, sometimes I was included, you know, all the coaches, uh, not only with the Kings, but coaches that I, you know, got to know around the league and, that's just that was people always ask me what's the best part of broadcasting with you and and being with the team for so long. That's it. You just the, the stories are with us forever. The people that we were able to meet along the way, Jer. I mean, wow. Uh, and that's why you need to come out with Reynolds Remembers Everything. The Reynolds Remembers was a great book. But now Reynolds Remembers Everything needs to come out. Well, if I did that, I'll, I'll need to move up into the hills. <laughs> a couple of couple of mean dogs and have a shotgun on my lap. There's a lot of things that uh, probably less better left buried, I think. So uh, well, here, here's what yeah, I'm going to do. Uh, I'll tell you what, I'll write a book. Okay. And we'll have it. You Reynolds remembers everything and whatever the title of my book will be. And we'll just move up to the Hills together. That way the dogs can protect yeah. both of us. How's that sound? Yeah, we'll need a, yeah, we'll need a compound. We'll need a compound. <laughs> oh, man. But I mean, but you're right. I mean, it, it, it's all the associations, you know, and I, I, it's just so sad when I, the Jerry Sloan passed away. He was just such a great oh, guy, boy. and it's those kind of things. I mean, it kind of brings your mortality, you know, all of us, in question. But I, I, I used to enjoy that so much, and just visiting with broadcasters before the game, got to know a lot of them. Really delightful people. Or, and I always, as I told you, I always love to talk to assistant coaches and different things because you'd always. I think they, in general, they trusted me. So I'd get information from them and give them information. You know, I don't believe in lying to people. And, uh, but yeah, that, that's the part I miss the most, you know, is just the, the pleasantries of being around really a lot of people in your, your peer group that are going through the, they understand what you're going through and you understand what they're going through. And, but it's also true that, you know, I'm 76 and, and, it's my time, you know, to to ride off in the sunset, and because I know even about the last year I worked with you, I, I honestly felt that things weren't coming to me nearly as quick, and and that really bothered me because I always felt like my knowledge or coming up with names and thoughts and things quickly uh, was a bit of a strength. But like I say, I just don't want to be one of those guys that the great Willie Mays falling down in center field or something. You know what I mean? <laughs> no, you already fell down once in your career. Are you, we don't want you to fall down again. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, that's, yeah good, good point there. And, uh, yeah, that's a pretty good lesson right there. Yeah. Uh, that, uh, you know, you yep. let, and that's what happens, you know, with anybody. You know, you let things build on you and uh, you take it too serious. And 
not much good's going to come from it. You, you've got to, you've got to try to find the, you know, the old saying I, I really believe in, you know, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And I always say, the, the reason they say that pursuit, so happiness doesn't come to you. Mm-hmm. You got to pursue it a little bit, find and find ways to find it, or you can just feel sorry for yourself and pout all day, like a lot of people do. Well, I was never happier than being with you for two and a half hours for uh, our well, 20 plus years, man. Well, That's the we, one thing we can say. We had a great time. We had a blast. I mean, there's no doubt about that. I mean, whether it's a 60 win team or 20 win team, we we found a way to try to try to enjoy it. And, and uh, just, just, yeah, I'm just so thankful. Like, and, and really it was the best, it was the best of times for me. Uh, you know, no question. I, I certainly treasure all of my stops and in my life at the different places you know they all had their great people and a lot of a lot of success here and there but uh, the broadcast part was was definitely the best for me and lastly uh should i tell people that you really did cheat when we played tennis together or were you just going to blame it on your eyes I'll blame it on my. I'm not a poet. I, uh, here, I'll tell you right up front. I would cheat. But, uh, <laughs> I love but, it. I, I mean, I I want to win enough. I'm I'm willing to cheat. But uh, I, I definitely, honestly, it, it's uh, my eyes and and uh, reaction. Uh, it, uh, I, I don't really think I. I I didn't think you were that good. I had to cheat. So that, that, that's, you were right about so that. If, if, if you'd been a little better, I'd, I'd have definitely you yeah. saw the, yeah. the ugly side of me come out more. Oh, you are you are the best. Well, listen, I got to move on. I got to do my rant and a couple of things. I I cannot thank you enough. It's uh, great having you on my podcast. Uh, I really enjoyed it. Well, I really enjoy uh, being on with you. And of course, my son Jay and I, we, we are real fans of your podcast and your rants. Uh, so I, I think it's going great. And I just think good things are ahead and, and as they should be. Uh, always told people, I mean, I have no doubt that you could be one of the top broadcasters in every sport there is. And, and, uh, which is maybe a little scary that, uh, that you, that you, that you have that much knowledge in all sports. Well, <laughs> maybe, maybe a, a, you know, it's like one of those things. Would you? I remember visiting with you on my podcast you, a year or so ago, and you're talking about how you you were doing broadcast during recess. And I said, well, that that explains a lot right there. <laughs> yes, it does. All right, Jerry, you take care. We'll talk to you down the road. Uh, Thanks as always. Talk to you down the road. Take care. All right, it's now time for uh, some questions. Our Q and A, crowdquestion.com. It's uh, real simple. Just sign up at crowdquestion.com. And maybe I will answer your questions on one of my podcasts. All right. The question from Ron Kraft, what moment or moments inspired you to go down the path of becoming a play-by-play announcer? Uh, 1969, Knicks, Bullets, Willis Reed, Wes Unseld, Walt Frazier against Earl the Pearl Monroe, Marv Albert on the call. And I'll never forget listening at the uh, kitchen table with my dad and my brother, to Marv Albert on radio. And that hooked me. And from that point forward, I said, that's what I want to do for a living. I used to do play-by-play on the schoolyard. 
I used to sometimes do it after a class assembly in junior high school. They would start chanting my name. If the bell had not rung yet, they'd go, Grant, Grant, Grant. And I'd go up onto the stage, and I would do a Knicks or a Rangers play-by-play with uh, commercials. I had commercials memorized. I mean, brought to you by, you know, Ford. When when America needs a better idea, Ford puts it on wheels. And by the FNM Brewers of Schaefer's Beer. Schaefer is the wine beer to have when you're having more than one. And, brother, that's the beer you've got coming. And by Eastern Airlines, the Wings of Man, and the second largest passenger carrier in the free world. I still remember the damn sponsors, and I used to do everything. So, Ron, that's that was the moment listening to Marv Albert uh, and the Knicks won the championship that year. All right, Riley, how do you think the revamped G League as a college basketball alternative will impact NCAA basketball as well as the NBA five to ten years down the road? That is a fabulous question, Riley. That's a fabulous question. Personally, I, I'm not going to go around and, and dodge your question. I'm going to say this. Until the pandemic is figured out, okay, until the pandemic is a thing of the past or we can resume sports the way we used to, I think it will have an impact. But I think the majority of players that are coming through the ranks dream about playing in March Madness and the NCAA tournament. And so I think that will always come first. I do think that the revamped G League is a nice alternative. I don't think it's going to really impact the NCAA much. Maybe now with the pandemic and the uncertainty of college basketball programs uh, going to fruition. And last year we didn't have the tournament. Five to ten years down the road. That is just too tough to gauge, Riley. But I don't think anything is going to happen to NCAA basketball as long as the tournament's there, as long as it's March Madness. I think that's what most, most of the kids on the playground and growing up that aspire to be a basketball player, they dream about being on that stage in the Final Four in March Madness. Again, if you want to ask a question, just go to crowdquestion.com. It's time for Rant. Today's rant is brought to you by New Works Plumbing. Locally owned in Sacramento for 20 years. Leak detection, water line repair, plumbing repair, bathroom plumbing, repiping for Kytec and copper pipes. New Works Plumbing is a full-service plumbing solution. No matter how small or how large your plumbing problem, they've got a fix for you. New Works Plumbing has experienced technicians on call 24-7. For all of your plumbing needs, check out newworksplumbing.com. That's N-E-W-W-R-X plumbing.com. All right, so election day 2020, right? Here's what I would like to see, all right? Beginning tomorrow, whenever we see a commercial and it's a candidate running for whatever office, You are not allowed to talk about the other candidate. I am so damn sick and tired of hearing political candidates rip the other candidate to shreds. I don't want to hear that. What the hell are you going to do for me, my community, my society, and my country? Don't tell me how bad the other person is. I want to hear what makes you the guy or gal that I should vote for. Tell me what you do well. Tell me about your policies. Tell me about how you're going to make my life better, my neighbor's life better, and my country's life better and safer. Don't rip the other candidate to shreds. I don't want to hear that. I am so sick and tired of hearing the negativity about the other candidate. Save that for the debate. So how about this, folks, right? My magic wand. From now on, 
all political advertising. You are not allowed to speak about the person you are running against. Enough of that crap. Tell us what you are going to do. Tell us about your policies. Tell us about what you have done and what you are going to do. If not, don't run for damn office because you're not worth it. That's a quick rant for today, but that is my rant. 2020 election, hopefully, will be in the books. I say hopefully because who the hell knows with the way everything's going on in this country right now. But what a thrill. Not a thrill. I shouldn't say thrill. I've known Jerry for 33 years. What a pleasure to have Jerry Reynolds on today's podcast, if you don't like that, with Grant Napier. Make it a great day, everybody. And stay tuned for Friday's podcast. Looking forward to it and my rants. Monday through Friday, both on your favorite podcast platforms and my video rant Monday through Friday on YouTube. Again, thanks for listening to If You Don't Like That with Grant Napier.